You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Take your Bible open to 2 Samuel chapter number 23. 2 Samuel 23, I've enjoyed so much being here. The kind words and the good meals that we've ate, good place to stay. And, and the music, just been wonderful. The choirs, the specials, congregation, every bit of it, just been wonderful. And uh, we appreciate that so much. 2 Samuel chapter 23. Then hold your place there. When you find 2 Samuel 23, say amen. All right. If you've not found it yet, just stop wherever you are and pretend you're there. And uh, I'm just teasing. 2 Samuel 23, hold your place there and turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 22. <clears throat> You're holding your place at 2 Samuel 23 and then open to 1 Samuel 22. My son, a pastor's in Alabama, our son, pastor's in Alabama, he, uh, uh, Florence, Alabama, he had called one day and he said, Dad, he said, uh, uh, we were in church and I said, I had him turn to a portion of scripture and I said, put something there to hold your place, your finger, or, or tie the envelope or something. He said, some of you don't use it for anything else. And then turn back to this other portion of Scripture. He said, after church, there was this couple that was mad uh, over that. And I said, well, son, they probably don't use it for anything else. And they got upset. I said, you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that comes out yelping got hit. You know, that's just the way it is. So anyway, you're holding your place in 2 Samuel chapter 23. You've got your Bible open to 1 Samuel chapter number 22. When you find that, if you're able to stand with us tonight as we read some scripture, begin in verse number 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 22. And uh, the Bible said, David therefore uh, departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Then turn, if you would, to, to 2 Samuel chapter number 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. In 1 Samuel 22, we see an event taking place where David is in the cave of Dullam. He's fleeing for his life. And uh, we get to 2 Samuel, and David is kind of rehearsing his life. Matter of fact, verse number one of chapter 23, 2 Samuel says, Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said. And so these are the last words of David, and David is kind of just rehearsing some things that had taken place in his life. That's kind of what old people do. We think back, we begin to tell stories of things that happened within our life. And, and, and then go down to verse number eight, if you would. The Bible said, these be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was the dino of the Isnite. He lift up his spear against 800, whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Oahite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines. They were there gathered together to battle. The men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave into the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Harite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time 
under the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in an hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. Father, again, we thank you for the privilege we had to be gathered in your house tonight. Thank you for the sweet spirit in this place. God, thank you for the songs we've been able to sing, the songs we've heard sung. And Father, we pray now you'd help us during the preaching time. God, we pray, give us a liberty. We pray, give us clarity of thought, scripture recall, illustrations, anything might help with the message tonight. And Father, we pray we might sense your warm breath upon our soul tonight. And God, we ask tonight, this might be a life-changing night for somebody. Might we allow the seed of the word of God to take root within our heart and produce the desired fruit within our life. Bless tonight. We'll certainly give you the praise for what you do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. David was in the cave of Adullam, and now as an old man, he's rehearsing. Matter of fact, the Bible says these be the last words of David uh, that, he, that he gave. So he begins now to rehearse some things that have transpired within his life. He begins to think back of some men that had been good to him and been a blessing to him along the way. And I could think back over the years that we've pastored, and I could think of different individuals we've had within uh, the church that have been a blessing to us and a help to us. And I say, thank God for good, faithful church people that are a blessing to the man of God and a blessing to the pastor and, and encouragement along the way and, and, uh, and such. And David is doing that. He's kind of rehearsing in his mind. And he thanks me in the cave of Adullam as he stood there. And we, we've been there and seen the cave and inside just some stagnant uh, spots of water inside the cave. And, and, and that's what they're drinking. And David is there and he looks across the way. The Philistines have got him surrounded. And he sees Bethlehem over in the distance. And he remembers as a boy growing up in Bethlehem, his boyhood home, and, and, and maybe the well that was there and how he would go and get a refreshing drink of water out of the well of Bethlehem. And he, he just kind of made this statement. I, boy, it sure would be nice to have a drink of water at the well of Bethlehem. And then the Bible tells how three of his mighty men break to the host of Philistines and went and got water and brought it back to David. He's rehearsing this in his mind. Matter of fact, then at the end of the chapter, he lists his mighty men. He calls every one of them by name. And, and the last name that is given within the mighty man is that of Uriah the Hittite. I don't think he was the least of the mighty men that David had, but I think it was just the hardest name for David to say. After what he had done with Bathsheba and that had, had, really had Uriah put to death. And so it's just probably the hardest name for him to say, but, but he couldn't list his mighty man without including him because he truly was one of David's mighty men. And David is looking back and thinking of the event that had taken place. And I want us tonight, if you would, just to, to look at the type of servants that were used uh, in, in this. And, and, you know, I used to think that, you know, the, the people that God used were only people brought up in church and, and, you know, living for God their whole life. And I'm glad, I'm thankful for those. I, that's, that's the kind of testimony people ought to have. I, I one time, I, I got a good friend, Brother Ken Graham. We preached a lot of meetings together, and he's a preacher's son and grew up in church, got saved at the age of 12, surrendered to preach at the age of 13. By the time he was 20, he'd already preached like 50 teen revivals, and God has used him greatly. And uh, 
we preached several meetings together. And I, I remember when, when I was a bit younger, we'd be in a church preaching and, and an elderly lady, I mean like 50, I'm just an elderly, an elderly lady would come up, a lady would come up and said, I remember you too when you were just kids, little kids running around inside the church building. And, and every so often a lady would say that. Of course, it wasn't me, it was someone else. I, I wasn't brought up in church. And one day Brother Graham said, uh, you, know, you know, when they mentioned uh, they remember you as a little kid, it said, why don't you ever correct them? And I said, because I like their version of my testimony better than like my version of my testimony. I, I wish I was that little kid growing up in church. And, and let me say to the church kids, don't think, don't think to have a good testimony. You gotta get out there and mess your life up. I'll tell you what a good testimony is. Get saved as young as you can and live for Jesus your whole life. That's a good testimony. But I look back at the men here that, that, that God had used and these mighty men of David and, and, and I won't take a look at their past, what they were. And, and we go back and we read, you know, I've turned back there, but in 1 Samuel 22, we read where David is in the cave there of Adullam and, 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 and the men come to him and it says everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented, they came to David and made David a captain over them. So look at these men when they begin with and the Bible said in their past, these were men that were in distress. The word distress means that you're, you're at the end of yourself. You, you don't know what to do next. You just don't know which direction to turn and, and what to go. There were men that were in distress. And then the Bible said that they were in debt. Does anybody know what that means? Yeah. It means they, they're overburdened, they're, they're, they're overwhelmed. They, they, uh, they, they just, there's no way they could make ends meet, just, just struggling in life. And then it says that they were discontented. The word discontented means they, they, they knew there had to be more to life and they're ready for a change. Uh, you know, oftentimes people, when they come to church, I'll make statements like, you know, some of you in, in life, you, you get up in the morning, you go to work and, and, and you work hard and you do your best to make ends meet and pay bills and you lay down at night and the next day you start it all over again. And within your mind, you begin to think there's gotta be more to life than this. And could I tell you, there's far more to life than that. God's got a wonderful plan for every person. And I'm telling you, his plans for your life are the greatest plans you could ever desire for your life. No regrets living for him. But these were men, their past, they're not satisfied with life. They were pretty much a mess. And then we see that their proclamation or what they did, they, the Bible said that David became a captain over them. They made David a captain over them. The word captain means a head person. It means a keeper. It means Lord. It means a master. It means a ruler. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter two, Jesus is called the captain of our salvation. Could I tell you about the day I came to him and made him a captain over me? I was discontented and I was in distress and I had a sin debt I could never pay on my own. And that day I decided to make Jesus a captain of my life. He's made a captain. This was an individual choice. The Bible said he became a captain. David did not force himself over them but they individually chose for David to be a captain over their life. Could I say the same when it comes to Jesus? He doesn't force himself in anybody's life. He wants us to individually choose him. Somebody said, why did God give us a free will? Because he doesn't want us to serve him because we have to. He wants us to serve him because we want to. I could probably force my wife to give me a kiss 
But I'm telling you, it's a whole lot better when she does it of her own free will. I think I might go get one here pretty soon. <laughs> just talking about it. Just, I love kissing her hello. I love kissing her goodbye. I love kissing her just because. We, uh, we get in, an, in the motel. We get on the elevator. And then doors shut. I'm kissing mama. Somebody gets on the floor with us. I wait to see what floor they push. I push the next one, whether it's my floor or not, because I'm, I'm kissing mama on that elevator. One of my children said, Dad, do you know they got cameras in those elevators? Well, they're getting a shot because I'm kissing mama. I kind of slide over next to her. She'll stand in the corner and I'll slide over next to her. She'll kind of have her head down a little bit and bless her a little. I come sliding in. I said, pick her up, mama. Daddy's coming in. And anyway... It was an individual choice. It was an involving choice. The Bible said he became a captain over them. The word captain is also taken from a word which means to have dominion. It's one thing to say I want Jesus to save me from my sins. It's something else to say I want Jesus to be involved in my life. I want him to change me. I want him to work in me. I want to walk with him. I want to get to know him. And they made David a captain over them. And it wasn't just an individual choice. It was involving choice. He was a captain over them. They submitted themselves to David. But I also say it was an immediate choice. They didn't wait till they got everything worked out. They just came to David as they were. In distress and debt, discontented. You know, so oftentimes I hear people say things like, well, you know, as soon as I get this worked out or that worked out, then I'll go ahead and start living for Jesus. Can I tell you something? As long as you're not living for Jesus, you probably won't get any of that worked out. You're far better just coming to him as you are and letting him work things out. He can do a far better job than you and I can. Sure. And when they made David a captain over them, we look at their present now as David begins to rehearse these men, in verse number eight of 2 Samuel chapter 23, these be the names of the mighty men. These became his mighty men that David had, the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Can you imagine that? They became men of strength. They stood for the right ways. When they made David a captain over them, a dino of the Esnite, the Bible said he became a man. I mean, he, he, he stood against, he killed 800 men at one time with a spear. They became men that stood for the right ways. There may be times we're outnumbered, but I'm telling you something, right is always right. And I don't care what our judicial system has to say in calling things right, there's a higher court system we're gonna answer to and right is always right and wrong is always wrong and they became men of, of strength that stood for the right ways. Can you imagine 800 men at one time? Now, some people, some Bible scholars have a problem with this because he's called a dino here, but in the Chronicles, he's called Jashobim. The name of Dino, David is rehearsing at the end of his life. The name of Dino means spear. What are you going to call a guy that kills 800 men with spear at one time? Bowling ball? He picked up a nickname. They started calling him Spear. I mean, I can just see he's walking by to say, hey, Spear. And somebody said, where do you get that name? Oh, are you kidding me? 800 men at one time. I mean, just... They called him spear. They became men of strength, stood for the right ways. Verse number nine, after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. <laughs> if I called my dad that, I'd be in trouble, but that's his real name. 
The son of Doe, the old height, one of the three mighty men with, with David, when they defied the Philistines and were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave into the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. Could I tell you, they also became men of stability that stood for the word. The Bible said he's in the midst of the battle and his, his hand clave in the sword. Can I tell you, God has given us a sword. He was weary in the battle, but he held on to the sword. It may be in life sometimes, in the middle of battle, all you have to hang on to is a promise from the word of God. Can I tell you, if you've got a promise to hang on to, you've got something great to hang on to. You just hang on to it. And when the battle rages around you, they became men of stability that stood for the word. They just believe if God said it, you can count on it. Sure. Then they became men of steadfastness that stood against worldliness. Look at verse number 11. After him was Shammah, the son of Agi the Harite. And the Philistines were gathered together. The troop was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. They became men of steadfastness that stood against the world. He would not give up ground to the enemy. You know, we've given up too much ground to the enemy in the day that we live. But they became men that said, no, wait a minute. We're not giving up ground. God is given this to us and we're not giving up any ground to the enemy and what a change was made in their life when they put David as a captain over them and then I see within the transformation of these servants verse 13 three of the 30 chief went down and came to David I see they loved their king I can see the fact they loved him and the fact that it's seen in their presence they came to David. Oftentimes, the Lord comes to us, does he not? And so many times we have a need, he just shows up. But they wanted to come to him. The Lord over and over has proved he loves us. I hear all this preaching today, you know, God loves you, and he does. They'll say he loves you no matter how you, how you look. And he does. He also loves you no matter how you live. But that's not an excuse to live like you want. And it's not an excuse to look like you want. I'm not trying to prove God loves me. He's already proved that. His love for us is not on trial. I want to prove I love him too. And it's seen in their presence they came to David. You know why, you know why I come to church? Not just because it's out of habit. I just... I just want to be where he's at. I love the house of God, but could I tell you, I like it best when he's home. <laughs> and they came to him and seen their presence. It's seen in his preeminence. It said the chief went down. These are men now of high position, but when they come in his presence, they humbled themselves. It's seen in their priority. The Bible said they came to him in the harvest time, busiest time of the year. But they loved him enough, it's never so busy that they can't take time for him. J.C. Penney, you might have heard of his name somewhere. J.C. Penney never missed a church service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. His is one of the only businesses that thrived during the Depression. He turned things around, he gave 90% and lived off 10%. J.C. Penney made this statement, if you get too busy for God, you're just too busy. But we probably have more going on than he did. It's seen the priority. It's a harvest time. There's much to do, but this first. 
We see that I love their king, but they listen to their king. Verse 15, David longed and said, oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. He's in a hole, verse 14 says, and, and, and the garrison of the Philistines, and they're gathered around, and David's just looking across the way and, and says, man, it sure would be good to have a drink of water from that well of Bethlehem. Thinking back of his boyhood days and how refreshing that water is. And, and, and you know, it, it wasn't an order. He, he didn't order anyone. It was just an observation. They were close enough to him that they could heard what he said. They were close enough they knew the desires of his heart. It wasn't an order. It was just an observation. It wasn't a degree that he put forth. It was just a desire of his heart. It wasn't a proclamation. It was just a, a plea that David had. It wasn't a command. It was just a comment. David said, it sure would be nice to have a drink of water by the well. And they're listening to him. And they lived for their king. I can imagine these together. And, and I don't know, I just, my mind works straight. You just go with me on all this, all right? And, uh, but I can just picture a couple of them standing there and, and David says, man, that water sure looks good over there in Bethlehem. Now I can picture one of them nudging the other and said, did you hear that? He said, what's that? David said he'd like a drink of water at the well of Bethlehem. And the other says, yeah, wouldn't it be neat if we go get him one? And, and, and the other one said, oh, that'd be awesome. But you know, there's a whole bunch of Philistines out there. And they said, well, we could always take somebody else with us. And I can imagine one of them said, well, who do you think we ought to take? And I think all at once, both of them said one word, spear. I mean, if you're going through the host of the Philistines, wouldn't you want spear with you? I can see him going to spear saying, hey, David said he'd like a drink of water in the well of Bethlehem. What do you think? And, and I don't, he probably didn't talk this way, but I picture him going, yeah. And I know he probably didn't talk that way. And you got, I mean, you got to understand Hebrew to get some of this. And he said, uh, what are you thinking? And, and now I see them as they, be, they began to head out. You know, others would make the statement. They'd say, you know, you don't have to do that for David. But I can imagine he's saying, you don't understand. It's not something that we have to do. I mean, after all that David has done for us, are you kidding? It's a privilege to do it for our king who's done so much for me. So much of Christian life anymore is I don't see where I have to do this and I don't see where I have to do that. I'm not interested in what I have to do and don't have to do. I want to know what would please him. He's been so good to me. I mean after everything he's done in our life it's a privilege to do anything we can for him who's been so good to us. I see as they bundle up together they begin to head out of the cave. I see the Philistines down below and they see a little cloud of dust coming out of the cave. And one of them said, hey, I think someone's coming out of the cave. And they began to look and said, uh, uh, how many are there? He said, well, I, I think there's only three. Do they have a white flag? He said, no, but one of them's carrying a big pole. Oh, no, wait a minute, that's a spear. They're coming this way. And, and, uh, and I, I can imagine they come closer and said, uh, what are, you, are you coming to surrender? Oh, no. Are you coming to try to capture our king? Oh, no. You come to figure out our game plans. Oh no, what are you doing? We come to get David a drink of water. You mean David expects you to get it? No, no, it's not that David expects it of us. It's a privilege to do it for our king who's been so good to us. You don't understand where we were when he found us. What a difference in our life. No, no, it's a privilege to do it for our king who's done so much for us. I can imagine those Philistines saying, well, you're not getting through. And they said, oh yes, we are. And the Philistines said, oh, no, you're not. And they said, oh, yes, we are. And the Philistines said, oh, you've heard this before? And they said, oh, yes, we are. And the Philistines said, you and whose army? In my mind, I picture two of them just stepping back. 
and say in one word, spear? I mean, I can see it. Bodies flying, blood and guts. Better than any John Wayne movie you've ever seen. Bodies flying everywhere. The Bible does say they break through the host of the Philistines. Bodies flying everywhere. I can see when they get to that well and they're dipping that water out. Them other two are saying, man, that sure was dangerous back there. And they dip that water out and said, man, but can you imagine David's face when we bring this water to him? Can you imagine the joy it's gonna bring him when we bring this water? Now, I'm not always the sharpest knife in the drawer, but my thinking is, Brother Nathan, if they had to break through the host of Philistines to get there, they probably had to come through a host of Philistines to get back. I can see Philistine bodies laying everywhere. The other Philistines, because they had them in camp circled and heard the ruckus and they're coming over and seeing these bodies laying everywhere. What in the world took place here? And I can see one laying on the ground with just a little life left in him and he's, oh, what happened? Oh, they came out of the cave. Are they after our king? No. They want to get our game plan? No. What are they doing? They come to get David to drink water. You mean David expects? No, they said it wasn't expected. It was a privilege to do it for him. Well, how many were there? Hundred? No, not quite. Fifty? No. How many? Three. But two of them didn't fight. <laughs> it's dying breath. I can hear him as he says, watch out for spear. So they gather together. The Israelites, the three mighty men are coming back. Philistines stand there and said, what are you doing? We're taking this water back to David. You mean David expected you to break through and get that water? Oh, no. Oh, no. We just know it would please him. It's not that it's expected of us. It's a privilege to do it for our king after what he's done for us. You don't understand where he found us. You don't understand where we were. You don't understand the difference he's made in our life. It's a privilege to do it for our king who's done so much for us. I can hear them saying, well, you might have got through, but you're not getting back. And they said, yes, we are. And they said, oh, no, you're not. And they said, 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 you and whose army? I picture two of them stepping back. You say, well, you don't know what happened that way. You don't know it didn't. And I'm preaching right now. I picture two of them. This is why you fall asleep when you read. You don't, you don't see things. I picture two of them standing back and just saying one word. Spear. I can see him. Spear in one hand, glass of water in the other. This is what I picture. Never spilling a drop. Bodies flying everywhere. Better than any John Wayne movie ever. And they break through the host. They, they, hey, here's the way it ought to be in our Christian life. They see you getting up on Sunday morning. Where are you going? We're going to church. They see you getting back Sunday night. Where are you going now? We're going back to church. Didn't you go this morning? Oh, yeah, but we're going back again tonight. I remember one time telling a lady, I said, yeah, we go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. She said, well, it seems to me if your preacher was any good, he could give you enough Sunday morning to last you all week. 
That might be why we got to keep coming back. And why I'm in evangelism. You got to come every night if you're going to get something. It won't hold you over anywhere. And, uh, and, and they see you coming back Sunday. Where are you going now? Back to church. You mean that preacher expects you to be at church? No, 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 you've missed it. It's not that it's expected of us. It's a privilege to do it for our king. They've done so much for us. They see you loading up, coming back on Wednesday night. Where are you going now? Back to church. You mean they expect you to go back again on Wednesday night? You don't understand. You've missed it. It's not that it's expected of us. No, no. Oh, far beyond that. I know we're not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, but this is not a have-to kind of thing. It's a privilege to do it for our king who's been so good to us. Revival meeting comes, they ought to see you every night getting in your car. Missions conference coming up. They ought to see you Monday night, Tuesday night, getting in your, where are you going? We're going to church. You mean, you mean they expected me there on Monday night? And no, 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 you have missed it. It's a privilege to do it for our king who's been so good to us. Oh yeah. I remember one time we Preaching mate, we had all of our children at that time. We had a 22 foot pole behind trailer. I think we had four of our children at that time. We're traveling around in that thing and preaching in a church. And my wife had taken some of the younger ones to the nursery. And there was a Jezebel, a lady in there that, that said to my wife, I think it's terrible that your husband expects you to travel around on that trailer and be in church every night. My wife just started crying. She said, you don't understand where we were when he found us. Our marriage was torn apart, our home was tear apart. It's not that this is expected of us. It's a privilege to do it for our king who's done so much for us. We've had some of them tell our children they thought it was terrible, they gotta be in church every night. One of, my, one of my children bought into that. They come and said, Dad, you know nobody else has to be in church every night. I said, Son, I'm a preacher. If I was a hog farmer, guess where you'd be every night? You better thank God I'm a preacher. <laughs> Christian life is not about what do I have to do, what do I not have to do. Christian life is about loving him and listening what would please him. We one time had a lady talking about some apparel she was wearing and she said, it's just never bothered me to dress this way. Somebody said, God never said it would bother you. He said, it bothers him. It's all about pleasing him. It's not that it's expected of us. I'm telling you, it's a privilege to do it for our king who's been so good to us. We'd be dying and going to hell if it wasn't for him. My marriage would be over if it wasn't for him. We'd not have the other five children if it not for him. They'd not be standing behind pulpits and preaching tonight if it were not for him. You got the, no, no, no. It's not that it's expected of us. It's a privilege to do it for our king who's been so good to us. And you didn't have to be out in the lost, deep world when he found you. He can find you in a church pew as a lost church kid and it takes the same amount of blood and the same amount of grace to save your soul. And it'll save you off a church pew and you ought to thank God he loves you enough to do that. No, it's a privilege to do it for our king who's done so much for us. Then I want to see the rejoicing, the triumph of the servants. Can you imagine when they brought that water and they handed it to David? How excited they must have been. Hey, David, here's your water. 
And then David took it and pulled it out. At that point, we probably would have said, what are you doing? That's not fair. We worked hard to get that for you. But see, true success is not found in the results. True success is found in our desire to please him. And what he does with the results is all his business. Do you love him enough to serve him all day, even if he takes all your labors and just pours it out? Would you love him enough to do it again tomorrow? See, we measure success by results, and then what happens is we change things in order to get results. Success is not found in results. Success is found in pleasing him. And if you please him in due season, you will reap. But the bottom line is not the results. The bottom line is pleasing him. And if he wants to take all your labor and pour it out, if he wants to take all my labor and pour it out, that's his business. My goal is just to listen to him the best I can and find what would please him. And I'm not looking to see what I have to do and don't have to. It's amazing when somebody wants to sell out and do something, how even other church members will come up and say, well, you don't have to do that. Now you've missed it. I'm not looking for what I have to do. I'm looking for what would please him. Because it's a privilege to do it for our king. Who's done so much for us. Maybe tonight you're still under bondage. You're still in distress. You're still discontented. You're still in debt. Maybe it's time you make him a captain. Maybe it's time to get him involved in your life. I'm not talking about just knowing him as your savior. If you're not saved, you ought to do that. But there's a lot of saved people that really don't have him involved in their life. And maybe we just need to love him more. And quit this, quit this deal about, well, I don't have to do this, and I don't have, it, it, I'm not entering what I have, I, I, what would please him? Because it's a privilege to do whatever we can for our king. He's been far better to us than David was to these men. It's a privilege to serve our king. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.